Critter and Crumb brings you a delightful collection of earrings featuring adorable animal pendants and tiny food charms. Whether you're an animal lover, a foodie, or simply someone who appreciates the beauty of whimsical jewelry, Critter and Crumb has something special for you. These earrings also make great gifts and stocking stuffers for friends, family members, even your children's teachers. And the best part? By supporting Critter and Crumb, you're not just getting a fabulous accessory, you're also supporting a small business that puts love into every creation. Head over to Critter and Crumb's Etsy shop today at critterandcrumb.etsy.com to explore their stunning selection of earrings. That's critterandcrumb.etsy.com critterandcrumb.etsy.com You are listening to Real Life and Other Fantasies, a podcast by engaging storytellers for engaged story listeners. Here's your host, author and journalist, Melvin E. Edwards. Welcome to this episode of Real Life and Other Fantasies. I'm your host, Melvin E. Edwards, and I'm pleased to be joined on today's storytelling journey by Melissa Amor, a writer and public policy advocate who has worked on projects for PBS, the National Endowment for the Humanities, Fortune Magazine, and Action for Healthy Kids. Good morning, Melissa. Just curious, how's the weather over there on the East Coast? It's actually very nice. It's chilly. It's cold. As you can see, I'm bundled up, but it's, uh, it's lovely out. I'm looking out my window right now at the sunshine, so that's good. So what, what's the temperature, just to get, give us an idea? Oh, um, I'm thinking low 50s, I'm guessing. I haven't actually checked, but that's that's okay. about where we're at right now. Yeah. Okay, that's actually about what it is here. I'm, I'm here in, I'm in South Texas, and it's in the 50s today, so it's oh, very cold okay. for us this time of the yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, and I'm a summer girl all the way. So, you know, for me, like low 50s, I'm like already freezing. So yeah, it's chilly. It's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll, you'll be getting yeah. snow by Saturday. God help us. (laughs) Melissa Amor is the development and research manager at 1P Org and a managing editor of Beyond Thoughts and Prayers, the newsletter of 97%, an organization that seeks to reduce gun deaths by including gun owners in the solutions. She has developed and launched two successful substacks, the top line, while serving as head of strategic communications at Stand Up Republic, and Democracy Defender on behalf of the Mission Democracy PAC. For the past five years, Melissa has focused on initiatives that inform Americans about current threats to democracy, engage them in support of innovative democracy reforms, and unify Americans across the political spectrum who share a commitment to democratic ideals and and norms, civil dialogue, and honest and honorable leadership. So it seems like I've talked to a lot of writers on recent episodes of the show. I think that's probably because I'm also a writer, and so we sort of naturally gravitate towards each other. We tend to be yeah. introverted, and and it sort of goes that way. But writing is a creative endeavor, and even though we might be talking about the same subject, every writer is different. Every subject is, is different, so no two writers are the same. So I want to explore what makes Melissa Quinn Amor unique. Oh, wow. So, here, so we, that's, that's going to be our focus today. So uh, let's talk about your writing. Did you start okay. writing early in life? And what was your motivation to begin? 
I did. I started super early. I started reading and writing very early um, before I started school and writing little books. And um, I, I have to say, probably my biggest inspiration was my grandmother. Um, she was a storyteller herself. Not, I mean, she dropped out of school in the eighth grade. She was not, you know, uh, book smart, as she would have said. But my goodness, could she tell a story? And she was sort of the uh, family historian. And I just latched onto that. I loved it still to this day, love all of that, the ancestry stuff and everything. And um, I began by writing her stories down um, from of the family. And I think I was probably a little inspired by, you know, I was as a little girl, as many little girls in the 70s and 80s, we were very involved in Little House in the Prairie. We love the series by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And so for me, it was kind of my way of, of, of doing what she did, you know, was to write down my family's stories. And so and illustrate them and all of that. So I have to say it was my grandmother, my Hungarian grandmother, which was she, we have sort of three branches of the family. My father's um, side, they were Irish immigrants. Um, and then on my mother's side, we had sort of two, you know, my, uh, my, my grandfather, his, you know, uh, ancestors came over with William Penn in like 1682. So they had settled in oh. the Philadelphia Bucks County area in Pennsylvania you know, centuries ago. And then, but, but then my grandmother, uh, her, uh, parents were immigrants from Hungary. So she was the, the different one in the family because everybody else was sort of this Irish English background. And I just, I was fascinated by her. She had a huge personality and told great stories. And, um, yeah, so I have to say she was my inspiration at a very young age to start writing. Okay. So, you were in education in the education field for quite a while and you came back around to writing. So what motivated that transition? So, so what happened with me was when I, when I went to school originally, um, uh, I, I went to, um, TCNJ, the college in New Jersey, which back then was called Trent state college. Um, go lions. And I was the first in my family at that time to go to college. And, uh, I initially went into English education. And uh, that was my plan was to be a teacher. And I, uh, about halfway through, I decided, you know, I don't really want to teach. I really want to write. And um, when I informed my father of this, he was not pleased because in his mind, he saw teaching as a very steady, solid career path, you know, um, whereas writing to him, I think, seemed very, you know, uh, it, it, it it just didn't seem like something that would always have a, a, a path forward, you know, for me or, or just to, to make a living. So um, I think we sort of split the difference a little bit. And so I ended up going into writing for education. So I worked with um, different nonprofits, corporate foundations and things like that to um, to write curriculum and to um, you know, basically help market what they were doing as well. But mostly I was writing for the education world. Um, and then of course I had my daughter and I had gone sort of part-time. I was freelancing. And then I did go into working in schools for a while. And I always say to everybody, I did literally everything except teaching. I was never a classroom teacher, which is interesting considering that's where I originally started, started out. But, um, 
I was doing uh, advancement type work in the administration, which is alumni relations, communications, which was a big part of it, um, admissions, like that sort of stuff, and and raising money, fundraising. So I did get really into that side of things. I got really into the development stuff. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. I really enjoy this. This is kind of a good niche. But then 2016 happened <laughs> and Trump happened. And, um, you know, I was finding myself on Twitter all the time, like you. I think that's how we all kind of mm-hmm. met. And, um, and I found myself just so... Uh, I, I, what is the word flabbergasted in the beginning, just like, un, like couldn't believe that this was all happening. Um, and this is going back to 2015, 2016 and just like, Oh my goodness, how could this be real? You know, like it just can't be real. And then of course it happened. Uh, Trump was elected and about halfway through his administration, I was like, you know, uh, this was late 2018 at this point. I was like, you know what? I, I feel like I'm being drawn to use my writing to do something good for the country. I mean, it's the only skill I have. So like, what can I do, right? So I um, I decided to quit my job without having another job, knowing what I was gonna do and just try to, to figure it out. And God bless my husband, because he was okay with this. So I quit working um, where I was at a school at that time, which was a great place. I loved it, but I, I felt like I needed to do this something different. And I put out on Twitter, hey, you know, I have over 20 years in comms, you know, like looking for a job, let me know. Five, 10 minutes later, I get a DM from, oh. I, I'm sure, I hope he doesn't mind me using his name, Mike Ongstadt, who at the time was working for Evan McMullen at um, Stand Up Republic. And he said, hey, we're looking for writers, you know, send me your resume. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? So I did. <laughs> I sent him my resume. I'm like, okay. Um, next thing I know, I have an invitation down to Washington, D.C. So I'm like, wow, this is exciting, right? So I go down and uh, I interview with all the folks at Stand Up Republic, including Evan. And within a couple of weeks, I had a new job. I was working in, you know, in this political sphere. And it was super exciting. So we got to launch... Um, it's a Substack now, but at the time it was on Mailchimp, uh, a, a newsletter called The Top Line, and it became pretty successful. You know, people were reading what I was writing; it was very exciting, and um, that sort of ended in May. So it went on for four years, um, um, but it actually has just gotten picked up again. So we're actually going to be reviving The Top Line, which I'm very excited about. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like how I got back into writing was, I mean, I hate to say it was because of Trump, but, but it really was <laughs> in a strange way. So, uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, but, you know, I mean, I don't do a lot of, um, I don't do a lot of creative writing. I wish I did because that's really what I, I wish I were writing about. I wish I were writing those family stories again. I'd rather be writing about that than the fall of democracy in the United well, States. You, you, you got to come back around to that. You can. You've got time. I to do. do. That. So I, I wanna, do. I, I want to ask a question. You mentioned Substack. I know a lot of people don't know what Substack is. Can you explain to the listeners what that is? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Substack is a platform uh, for writers of all kinds to. Um, to, to have a regular newsletter with an audience that reads it <clears throat> and people write about all sorts of things. Um, 
it, the top line, the one that I was working on was about um, issues related to democracy, right? Rule of law, um, you know, global democracy, the health of global democracy, uh, elections, election reform, that sort of thing. Um, but for other people, it might be about sewing. It might be about, you know, uh, it, it could be about anything, it, you know? Um, so it's kind of fascinating. And, and any person can have a Substack newsletter alongside, you know, a lot of really famous writers have their own, obviously have huge audiences, but, um, so I'm a big fan of Substack. I love it. Um, I've actually started a few Substacks for, for different organizations and, um, you know, it's going pretty well. So, so yeah, I'm a proponent. It it sounds not altogether different from podcast, not, not verbal, not audible, but Uh, same kind of concept. It is the same kind of concept, and it kind of goes back to this sort of democratization of content. Um, you know, uh, when we were growing up, it was always that there were editors, gatekeepers for all kinds of content. And now uh, it's not so much like that to both, you know, and there's been both positives and negatives, obviously, to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um in some cases more negative <laughs> when it comes to social media. I don't think so, so much with Substack. That's sort of a different type of thing, but, but yeah, I mean, like it's, it is an opportunity for people to put their writing out there that may not have had either the opportunities to do it or, um, you know, just, it's something that they're, you know, they have a niche interest and they want to reach out to other people that have that same interest. So I think it's a pretty cool site. Okay. That sounds awesome. So I've up to this point, I've always tried to be nonpartisan, even nonpolitical on, on this show. But you, you talked about Evan McMullen and, and politics a little bit. So I'm just curious, have you ever thought about running for office yourself? Oh, I you know what? It's funny, Melvin. I would be terrified to do it. <laughs> at heart, I am a fraidy cat. And at heart, I am just this. You know, I'm just still this girl from the Philly suburbs that's like, you know, it, it's interesting because I work with a lot of amazing people. I mean, it's, it, you know, I sometimes have to pinch myself because I've gotten to meet some really cool people through um, this work that I've done for the last five years. And they have amazing lives and they do amazing things. And then there's just me just writing for them. <laughs> and um, I, so, I, you know, I think that in some other time and place, I may have done that. I would have considered that because I, I don't know if I'm naive or, or just whatever, but I, I do feel like I would love to be able to serve the country in that way. But I just, it, in the way the environment is now, I don't know that I could. And I think that's kind of sad in a way because it's, it, you know, it I is. don't want to be that person. I want the courage to do it, you know, but at the same time, I just, Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, we, live in a, we live in a, a different time. We and do. My wife has tried to talk me into running for office for a while. Yeah. And I've said multiple times, I don't want to do it because I, I would want to protect you. Being yes. Hurt. And yes. The, yes. the idea of having strangers attack my family because of something they disagree with me about is exactly. something I just don't think I could tolerate. Exactly, exactly. And I've seen, I, I feel the same as you, Melvin. My family comes first. 
And I've seen what the people I work with who are public figures, I see what they have gone through. Some of the things that it's not even publicized that threats and, and, and things. And I just, I wish I had a little bit more courage, but at least in this stage of life, I'm not there. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, if things can change, if we get to a better environment someday, who knows, right? You know, I never would have expected I would be doing this work that I'm doing now. So you never know. Yeah, the, the dichotomy or the dilemma, I guess is a better word, is do we wait until the environment's better to do it? Or do we do it and help change the environment to make it better? Yeah, no, you're you're a hundred percent right. Um, and I'm glad that people who have that, that have the guts to do that and also have that calling, let's say, um, are out there doing it. I mean, we have seen a lot of really great people enter into the political system as a result of this kind of broken, dysfunctional place where we're at. And, um, I'm behind them all the way and rooting them on. I'm not just not sure that I'm ready to be that person. <laughs> I'll be yeah. the one in the background helping you out. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Maybe someday we'll both be in office somewhere. Who knows? Who knows? Motivating each other, motivating a few other people on our in our Twitter X in our atmosphere. little yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, agreed. I think a lot of people would be wonderful. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I agree. All right, so a little bit of a switch here. Okay. So I'm going to use you as a guinea pig here, if you don't mind. Okay. <laughs> so the title of this podcast is Real Life and Other Fantasies. So starting with this episode, I want to begin a feature called What's the Real Life Event That Happened to You That May Seem the Most Unbelievable If it hadn't, If You Hadn't Experienced It Yourself? So in other words, what type of real life situation have you experienced that seemed, would seem like a fantasy? What What's happened to you that you think would be hard for somebody else to believe. Okay. So I had to like go way back in time for this one <laughs> about 40 years back. Um, so when I was, uh, and you're from Texas, so this might, this, <laughs> this might be like totally ho-hum for you, but <laughs> it was really something for around here. So when I was um, 11, every year when I was a kid, it, like a lot of people from this from the Philadelphia area, you go to the Jersey shore for your summer vacation. That's what you do. Right. And, and by the way, I should just add right here that like, please don't let the MTV version of the Jersey shore influence what you think of the entire Jersey shore. That's one little tiny hamlet of the Jersey shore. So we did not go there. We, we went to uh, a, a beautiful place called Long Beach Island every year. And um, so <clears throat> the one year we were down there and it was the middle of July and we were down there with friends and, you know, in the evening you would go out and you would go play miniature golf or, you know, do things you do at the shore, go to the arcade, whatever. Um, and friends of ours had gone down to sort of like, there's like a mall, uh, on the Island. And they said, Oh my goodness. You know, it was raining out. It was just not a good night. So we were kind of like, hey, you know, we're just going to stay home and play cards, whatever. So they did go out, but they went to the mall and they said, oh my gosh, it's just, it's flooding. It's crazy. We can't get back to the house right now. They were calling from a payphone because of course we had no cell phones back then. And um, we were like, oh wow, really? So we're like, okay, well, they're going to stay out for a while. Good thing we didn't go out. Glad we stayed here. 
So I'm just looking out the window watching. I'm looking out the window now, like imitating it. But I was looking out the window watching all the lightning. And I mean, the lightning was constant, constant. Like I've never seen so much lightning in my life. And I was like, what is up with this storm? So I'm looking out and then all of a sudden the lightning lights up the sky and I see this perfect funnel cloud. Whoa. Now, we're, we're the Jersey Shore, right? Okay, so I'm like, I'm like, no, there's no way that I just saw that. And then the lightning again, again, funnel cloud. So I go nuts. I, I start like screaming, you know, and I'm like, there's a tornado coming. There's a tornado coming. <laughs> like, Melissa, there's not a tornado. Okay. It's just a bad storm. Everything's fine. I'm like, no, I swear there's a tornado. So my mom's like, okay, if it'll make you feel better, why don't you go in the tub in the bathroom and just sit in there because you're supposed to be, if you sit in the tub, it's safe if there's a tornado. Eventually the storm ends. The friends come back and we're like, wow, what a wild, crazy night it was. And that was that. We went to bed and that was the next day. So um, next day dawns, beautiful day. And my father had gone down to the little store at the end of the block to get, I don't know, probably cigarettes. I hate to say it, but that's probably what he was going to get because all the dads smoked back then. So he went down to get uh, stuff from the store and he comes back and he's like kind of white. And he's like, Melissa, he was like, you were right. He said, for one thing, the roof is off the store at the Whoa. end of the block. And he said, there really was a tornado. And I was like, thank you. I said, you were all making fun of me. Told so Told you. <laughs> Turns out it was an F3, which is like unheard of in that part of Jersey, wow. right? You know, I mean, we get little tornadoes around these parts. You know, you'll get an F0, F1. To have an F3 in Jersey by the, by the shore is kind of strange. So that's my kind of unbelievable story because it's like, what? How is that possible? You know, like, how did you have a storm... <laughs> Like of that magnitude, that storm that night was the same storm that hit, if you're familiar, I know you'll know this, but I don't know if everybody knows this. When Diana Ross famously did a Central Park concert many years ago mm -hmm. in New York City, and it was just pouring rain and it was, you know, it's kind of famous, yes. right? Iconic. That was the same night. So it was that same storm made its way up to New York after it hit wow. Jersey. Well, I actually have a tornado story from that part of the country that happened to me. Do you? In, in, okay. in, two, in 2000, I, for some whatever reason, my well, my former wife and, and our kids, when they were very young, who had four children, the youngest was less than a year old at the time. We drove okay. from Texas to New Hampshire. Oh, wow. With four kids, if you can imagine that. <laughs> Minivan. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, yeah, we were, we stopped for a night in somewhere in the New Jersey Delaware, Pennsylvania. Oh, Delaware. Area. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So it was Newark, Delaware. I think it's where it was. Delaware gets weather. Yeah. They get weather. And, and we're in the hotel and the storm comes through and I'm thinking, this is tornado weather. Like I know what tornado weather looks like. I'm thinking, right, this is tornado right. weather. And it, and it was a tornado and it wasn't far wow. from our hotel. And I was thinking, we drove all the way from Texas and we're going <laughs> to die in a tornado in Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy but no thankfully I, we didn't die <laughs> thank goodness yes yes i kind of figured <laughs> but yeah, Delaware, they get some uh, they get some heavy weather there for whatever reason i don't know why like i'm not sure why that state gets hit particularly hard but they do yeah. so 
Wow, yeah, I'm, oh my I'm goodness. A weather, I'm a weather nerd. And when you were telling the story and talking about all the lightning, I thought, well, there are just two indicators of, of tornadic, tornadic probability. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weather nerd. I actually have a certification no, cool. as, a, like as a weather spotter, if you can believe that. Do you? And, and no, I think that's that, fascinating. That constant lightning like that or, or large hail. Those are the two things oh. that you look for first. So if you start to hail see those things, sure. you need to take shelter. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you were okay. And maybe next time they'll believe you when you see you see a, a perfectly formed funnel cloud heading your direction. And they'll all get in the bathtub with you. Exactly. <laughs> all right, so you're, you're Philadelphia. What's that? I said, why won't anyone believe me? Yeah, but exactly. I can understand why they didn't, because I was a very fearful child, same as a fearful adult. Yeah, you were, you were so, a child, and it was Philadelphia area and not a normal occurrence, which is why you're on this podcast exactly right, right now telling this story. Is your real life? That's exactly real life, right. Hard to believe story. So since <laughs> exactly. you are a native of the Philadelphia area, obviously most people who follow sports, they hear Philadelphia and the, and the <laughs> reputation of Philadelphia fans comes up. So tell us what it's like being a Philly fan. And do you get tired of hearing how the whole country thinks you throw snowballs at Santa Claus just because some Philly fans threw snowball at Santa, Santa, snowballs at Santa Claus a long time ago? I know. I You know, it's funny because when people bring up that story and I say, look, I'm 51 and that happened before I was even born – they're shocked by that. They they have this sense that it just happened 10 years ago or it just happened 15 years ago. It's like, no, it happened in the late 60s. <laughs> and most of the people who were there are probably really old or not with us anymore. Um, and I could get into the whole thing with that the guy was drunk and the old stories that are behind it. But I don't because I'm like, what is the point? That's silly. I get where our reputation comes from as Philadelphia fans, we're, we're very, very passionate. Yes. That's the word you used. That's a good, that's a good PR word. (laughs) Um, I, uh, but I also think, well, see for me, I'm mainly a Phillies fan. There is a difference in my opinion between Phillies fans and Eagles fans. Do you say Eagles it like a Philadelphia would like say? Do you do you say Eagles? I say Eagles. I know a lot of Philadelphians say Eagles. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. And that's because I'm mostly a Phillies fan. <laughs> no, and I love the Eagles. Don't get me wrong. I, I root for all of our teams, but I'm a base. I'm like you. I'm a I'm a baseball person. So for me, the Phillies are number one, and the Phillies. And that's nothing against Eagles fans, but the Eagles fans are on a whole other level. They're just like, wow, you know, (laughs) intense. Phillies fans, we like love our Phillies. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's not some overly passionate Phillies fans. But uh, I think it is a little bit of a different atmosphere, generally speaking. But yeah, of course it gets, of course it hurts sometimes because you're kind of like, oh, come on, you know, we're not all like that. And, you know, I, you know, and I'm always saying, well, what about when this team, these fans did this or these fans did that? And it's like, it doesn't get the same amount of attention. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes, I mean, I think we've earned our reputation, but at other times I think it's a little overblown and especially the Santa Claus thing that drives me nuts because I'm like, dude, come on, man. (laughs) That's that's this that one stuck. That one stuck with you. 
It sure did, and, and didn't it'll, it? It'll, it'll probably be there forever. So I, I, know, I know you know a little bit about this story because we talked online before about this. But my first time going to a game in Philadelphia, I, I moved from my family moved from Texas to Maryland in 2002. So mm, okay. to that, in 2003, I went to a game to watch the Astros play Houston, my home team, and went to a game with my daughter, who was 12 at the time. I wore a cowboy hat and an Astros shirt. And she was sitting next to me and I, and I made a sign and I, and I was sitting on the front row of my section. I put the sign up on the rail. It said something like Astros fans, wherever we go or something, something like that. Okay. And, and this guy came up, he obviously had had some alcohol. Drinks. Yeah. <laughs> he came up and looked at my sign and then he looked up at me. I was a couple feet above the sign, looked at the sign, looked at me. He just kept, he did this like back and forth about three or four times. And I just stood there and watched it. My daughter was completely oblivious to this. I was watching her to make sure she wasn't scared. Yeah. She, was, she was oblivious. So I just watched him. And I could tell what he was doing. He was trying to decide if it was worth it for him to fight me. Oh, my goodness. And, and I think the cowboy hat scared him away. I <laughs> and In my mind, I think he thought... This guy's from Texas, and all Texans have guns, so he's probably got a gun, so I'm not going to fight him. That's what I'm convinced he thought. That's possible. Because finally, after, possible. after looking back and forth, he just said, no, nah, it's not worth it. He, he's actually said that part out loud, and then he walked away. Wow. It was crazy. I got that a story for you. I got a story for you that happened at Citizens Bank Park. So. My daughter is a sports writer. She's an adult. She's she's grown up now. She's not my little girl anymore. Well, she's still she'll always be my little girl. But she's a, she's a grown up now. She's a sports writer and an editor. Um, so she's been into the Philly sports since she was born, basically. <laughs> you know. So we had her at a game years ago. It was a Phillies game at Citizens Bank Park, and they were playing the Mets. So whenever we play the Mets, a lot of New York fans come down. So where we were sitting, we had a whole row or two of Mets fans that probably came down in a caravan or something, and they were all kind of together. Let me tell you, they were rough. Some of the stuff they were saying, my husband was ready to, like, throw down, you know, because (laughs) our daughter was little. And the things they were just saying were absolutely awful and, like, like, come on, this isn't even your home stadium, dude. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and yeah, I think if we hadn't had our girl there with us, you know, and she was little, I, my husband probably would have said some choice words back, but he kept his cool. We kept ours. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was not the, the best game, but luckily the Phillies won. So at least we had that, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, you can get some tough crowds at these games, that's for sure. But I'm glad everything worked out okay with you. Yes. And I guess that, and usually alcohol is involved. Usually alcohol is <laughs> well, involved in these stories. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And a little fun rivalry is one thing. It's when it gets to when it's getting violent that it's problematic. Yes. Uh, I love it's rivalries like, and I, I even love trash talk. But there, there's, yeah. a, there's a real line you can cross. Yeah. Yeah, and most people yeah. know where the line is. Most most yes. people do until they've had too much alcohol. Then there's yeah. no line. I agree. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. It definitely, <laughs> uh, definitely is the uh, alcohol that fuels a lot of that 
sort of violence that you yeah. see. And, and the li- liquid courage is what, what it's <laughs> yes. called. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So th- this episode will be airing in the middle of December. So let's talk a little bit about Christmas since Christmas will Yay! be coming up soon. So yeah. tell me, do you, do you have any memorable Christmas stories or Christmas memories from your childhood or even from your child's childhood? Oh, wow. Oh, my little girl when she was, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We, um, she's, she's our only child. We, we just have one and she's just, uh, she's a great kid. I can't say enough about her. And she is sort of part of, uh, like like she's adapted all of our Christmas traditions and enhanced and heightened them. Um, one of the nice memories, and this goes all through her childhood and up until now is that every year she has a bit of an artistic flair. So every year she draws our Christmas card. And this started when she was in second grade. It was the first Christmas after my dad, her pop-up had passed away sadly from, um, yeah, he, Oh, he passed away from brain cancer. Um, in his early 60s. It was horrible. Thank you. Yeah, it was terrible. It's been a long time now. This was, Christmas of 06. He passed away in 06. So she was only seven when she lost him and she was close with him. So, you know, we were like, you know, let's, let's try and do some special things. And so we were like, you know, let's do a nice little card. Lauren can draw. That's my daughter. She can draw it. It would just be something special. So that was kind of how it started. And then since then she has drawn our card every single year. So that's, I don't know, 17 or 18 different drawings now. Um, and I have friends and stuff that say they wait for that card every year and they've collected them because they're so unique. That's and, great. Um, that's they that's are, a great really, tradition. They're really neat. And, you know, she's almost 25. So now I'm like, how much longer can I expect her to draw this card? So I said, can we at least just get up to 20? Let's make it 20 cards, you know, 20 years. And she was like, all right, you know, because <laughs> she really doesn't mind doing it. But it is funny that, you know, who who would have thought that something we started when she was that started when she was seven years old would continue up to this time, you know? Um, so, you know, that that's just kind of a nice memory from every single year that's been consistent from year to year. Um, gosh, I mean, so many good, so many good Christmas memories, but we're very big on traditions. Like when my husband and I were dating, um, there's a, a place near us that's it's like a little winter village and we went to go visit on um december 23rd right which we used to call christmas eve eve now people you know sometimes now people you know people now refer to it as festivus because of seinfeld um but whatever december 23rd so let me stop you for just a second what's the name of this christmas village you mean you 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 went to Oh, okay. So it's, well, I, it, they do a Christmas village at Christmas, but they decorate seasonally. It's called Peddler's Village. It's in Bucks County. I've been to a, a Christmas village in Pennsylvania and I was wondering if it was the same one. Oh, I, where were you at? Do you remember the name? I, I don't remember. It's like a, it's a whole okay. village. It, it wasn't. Oh yeah. There. There's a lot of them. Like, well, one yeah. near us that that's on a farm, um, Shady Brook farm, that's amazing we go to that every year too um and they do a a fantastic job so uh but this particular year we went up to peddler's village on like i said december 23rd and it was just i know it sounds silly but it just felt magical like it felt like we were so in that christmas spirit at that moment and 
so that's another thing we've adopted as a tradition. We go every year on December 23rd, a couple of times because of weather, we had to shift it a day or two. Um, but uh, yeah, we're just really big on like sort of these traditions that we do year after year. And then we always on Christmas Eve evening, we always, always, always watch Scrooge, the 1951 <laughs> version of A Christmas Carol. That's our Christmas Eve tradition. So, you know, just little things we've done year after year. Those are like, you know, those are fun. Traditions are great. I, I love traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So does your, does your daughter still participate now that she's almost 25 years old? She does. Yeah. She's wonderful. And uh, she's, she's a, now she is a huge Christmas fan. I'm the kind of person who I love Christmas when it is Christmas, but once it's not Christmas anymore, I'm, you know, like, and I'll still sell, like, I'm still, I'll leave our tree up throughout January. I'm good with that. But once we're like moving into a different season, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done with Christmas. And I'm not thinking about Christmas in August and September, you know, like to me, (laughs) Christmas starts after Thanksgiving, but a lot of people like love Christmas music and Christmas culture for lack of a better word like all year round she's like that she could watch christmas movies year round she could watch uh you know or listen to christmas music you know like she's a big fan of home alone and you know like she's fine with doing that all the time so yeah she's it's she's pretty extra when it comes to christmas but, you know, <laughs> that's fine. I, I like it in its time you know what i mean <laughs> yeah I, so, I agree all right so what about yeah. new year's do you have any new year's resolutions that you've come up with that you're prepared to start on January 1st? Uh, well, I always have a new year's resolution to lose weight, which I never keep. (laughs) Um, you know what? I need to get back into reading books again. I spend so much of my time reading news and suggestions for you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I should start there. I I need to get back into that. I've noticed that over the past five years or so, that so much of my reading and writing is focused on like what's going on in the world and all of that. And I'm like, gosh, I don't read as much fiction as I used to or nonfiction even that isn't necessarily related to you know, what's going on right now. I used to be a really big fan of historical fiction and um, still am just, I've not been as good about just reading for pleasure as I used to be. So I would like to get back into that habit. I used to be reading three, four books at a time sometimes, you know, and I've kind of lost that habit, you know, so I'd like to get back into that. Same here. I yeah. need to, maybe that'll be my resolution. I hadn't thought about my own, but maybe that'll be mine to get back into like all I'm, I'm pointing here. Like people can see it. The, the video will be available on YouTube, but most, I know most people listen to the, the podcast, but I'm pointing at right. books behind my head. And most of these books I haven't read yet. These are books I intend to read, but I haven't read yet. So oh, yeah. January 1st would be a good opportunity to get started again. I'm, yeah. I'm, talking, um, I'm talking to myself right now. So so no, but I so agree. I have books too that I've ordered because I was like, oh, that sounds great. And and I just haven't dug into them yet. And so yeah, I think that I need to get back into that. And um I see your books up there too. So I think that's pretty cool. That's one thing I've never done. I've never written and published a book. And I'm so um, you know, 
I'm just, I don't want to say envious because that sounds negative, but I really am like, I, I admire that you, you did that, that you, you went the full oh. distance on that. And, you know, one day maybe I'll, yeah. I'm not sure know. I would have, would have done it if it hadn't been for COVID, the COVID lockdown is I've done oh, okay. research for 30 years on my, my family without the intention of ever writing anything other than right. stuff for my kids to have to, so I can yeah, pass on yeah. to them so they know their family's history. But during the COVID lockdowns, I had lots of extra time. And so I thought, might as well start writing. And so that's what I did. And, and I had enough information for two books. So I've, I've written from both sides of my family's history, which go back in Texas to the Republic of Texas days back in the 1840s. Wow. So that's awesome. If you're a writer, you, you know how to put words together. It's just a matter of making yourself be disciplined enough to, to write every day. And that's the difference. Yep. You have to be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's uh, discipline is the key there. Um, every time I've, I've started that I've never maintained it. I, I like to think that eventually I'll get to a point where I will, but I think that if you keep putting things off like that and waiting for the perfect moment, it's just never going to come. There's always going to be something else that fills that space. So it's a matter of just saying, that's it. I'm going to do this. You know, yeah, we don't so. want another worldwide pandemic to have to happen for you to sit down and no, oh, please no. <laughs> we don't need that. We don't need that. No. Yeah. No, certainly not wishing for that no. uh, or any other world worldwide uh, calamity at this point. Um, we definitely don't need that. No, we don't. All right, so so starting to wind down this this interview, I want to give you some time to talk about anything you want to talk about that hasn't been brought up. Almost any topic, except for politics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to talk about that anyway. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, oh, I know, because we're both <laughs> fans. What do you think of the new Beatles song? I love it. I love the video. Do you? I yeah, don't same. love the song. I like really? the song, but I don't love the song. Okay. All right. Interesting. And it's it's just too slow for me. It it's slow without really being a ballad. And okay. Obviously, when John recorded it, it was a demo situation, and and he may have changed sure. it somewhere along the way, sped it up or whatever. Right. But the idea of it is beautiful the and and the, the technology required is fascinating so everything yes. around it is magical i yes. just yeah i just wish it sounded like something from abbey road or okay. magical mystery tour that's album. fair yeah so it's, yeah. it sounds more like early beatles which early beatles were good too but they weren't as good as the Beatles the in the late Beatles. 60s. Oh, right. It's, Same. Really, it's really crazy how we talk about early Beatles and late Beatles, but the entire catalog of Beatles <laughs> history <laughs> was seven years. Seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. It's it was, crazy, it was isn't it? less than a decade. That's what I always say. I, when I talk about it with my daughter, who is also a Beatles fan, and I say to her, when you think about it, how 
prolific they were over that period, you know, essentially like 13 albums, like four films, like it's like, it's almost, you can't fathom it because nowadays, you know, the big artists generally will put out an album. It's every couple of years, you know, if you're lucky, uh, the fact that they produced so much during that time. And I'm a hundred percent with you. I prefer, you know, the albums like 1966 and later over the stuff that's earlier than that. I lo- although I do love, I love Rubber Soul, but I, I, but I really, you know, love Abbey Road. I love Let It Be, especially like when they released Let It Be Naked, the stripped down version. Mm-hmm. Love it. And I always thought that that one was sort of underrated because it was sort of considered the breakup, you know, album. But, um, but even though it really wasn't, but I uh, agree. Yeah, the late 60s. And it's funny because my mom who grew up in this area and went up to New York when the Beatles first were here in 1964 to see or to be on um, the Ed Sullivan show. And and she stood outside their hotel and saw them waving, you know, down at them. She, that's her Beatles. She loves the mop tops. She loves, you know, she loves you. And I want to hold your hand and hard days night and all of that. And she doesn't even know some of their later songs. She goes, Oh, well, by then I was married and had kids. Yeah. Like she knows come together and let it be and the basics, you know, like the ones that, that were hits, but she doesn't, sometimes I'll play a random song for her from the white album or something. And she's like, I didn't, I've never heard that song. I don't know that song. So it's crazy, right? You know, like she actually, <laughs> she was actually around then. I wasn't even it around. Crazy. It's, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge Beatles fan and, and all trivia and all those things related to the Beatles. One of the things, another thing I find interesting when you try to compare eras, like Taylor Swift is the most popular artist in the world today. And right. when she releases an album, her record company releases all 10 songs as singles. And so then when you talk about people, artists who've had the most top 40 hits, it sort of gets distorted because like Taylor Swift may have 10 at one time and the Beatles were releasing an album that's a masterpiece and they released two singles from that album. Exactly. That's right. In that time period, seven year time period, they had 60 hits. Yeah. releasing two or three album singles from albums. Imagine if it's they amazing. did it the way it is now, they'd have 200. The hits, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I've always thought too, that some of their best stuff wasn't the stuff that became hits. Don't get me wrong. I love their hits, but some of their most interesting and fascinating stuff, it, it, they're like, you know, hidden gems, you know, that like, just like I said with my mom, like doesn't even know those songs because by then she was married and had kids and wasn't paying as much attention to all that. And I so, uh, yeah, so, yeah, but she, you know, but like it, it I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think it's comparing apples to oranges when you look at how music is today and how it was then. I mean, it's just, it's evolved and changed so much. Um, so yeah, the Beatles probably would have been even bigger than they already were if they were in this time frame. Possibly more than likely, but then there could have been an oversaturation too. And people could have gotten tired of it. So you just just never know. You never know. No, you don't. Their legacy is at the top and it should always stay there. I don't care who else comes along. I don't care how far into the future it is. One last Beatles related song I want to, or Beatles related memory I want to share. Yeah. My oldest daughter is also a huge Beatles fan. And Paul McCartney 
came to Texas last year mm-hmm. and she bought tickets for the two of us to go. Nice. So they were, they played, he played in Fort Worth and we lived down, I lived near San Antonio and we drove up there and, and went to the show and it was awesome. He was just a couple months away from turning 80 last year, the show. Crazy. He played 40 songs no break, no intermission, no opening act. Unbelievable. He he did all the song, all the singing. He played six or seven different instruments that, on stage with his band. It was a great performance. Whether he was wow. eighty or thirty, it was it was yeah. pretty incredible. That's amazing. How nice. That's great. I I haven't seen Paul since ninety three. I saw him at Veterans Stadium back then, um, uh, which was fantastic it was great then but it's been a long time it's been 30 years it's crazy to me but um my daughter and i and my husband went with us too he's not really a beatles fan but he's he's he he respects them let's put it that way for their impact right even though it's not really his favorite kind of music so but he went with us we went to see ringo and his all-star band i want to say that was probably about seven years ago maybe here in philly we saw them they were fantastic i mean it's amazing these guys at their ages how i mean i'm like amazed at how like they're just they're still so um and it's not just them it's like other rock stars too that are still going and they still seem to have so much energy and I'm just so yeah, impressed by that. I'm, I'm a lot younger than that, and I don't have that kind of energy. I mowed my grass <laughs> two days ago, and I'm still sore. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I feel the same way. I'm like, God bless them. You know? yep. So, yeah. They're role models. They're role models for us. They sure are. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Another New Year's resolution. Get in shape. <laughs> I'm talking to myself again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Adding All that right, one so- to the list. So I've enjoyed this conversation, Melissa. I appreciate you joining us. Um, so Melissa Amore has been our guest today and, and joining us for her storytelling journey. And Melissa, I hope you have and your family have a, a wonderful Christmas time. So to, to keep it on the, the Paul hey. McCartney thing. Thank you. <laughs> you too. And it would be so nice if we could celebrate that war is over, wouldn't it? And yes. <laughs> this Christmas. Nice, nice transition. Uh, yeah, there. keeping with that, a lot, with that theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but uh, you too, uh, thank you so much for having me on and, and wishing you guys too a wonderful uh, holiday season. Thank you. We appreciate it. So that's it for today's episode of Real Life and Other Fantasies. Join us again next time for another great storytelling journey. Until then, don't forget to shine some light wherever you go. That was another edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies with your host, Melvin E. Edwards. Join us again next time for more stories about more things than you can imagine. Some of those true stories may even be about real life. See you next time.